Hey, everybody, before this week's episode gets started, it's a great interview today with Sarah DeLuke, uh, art director from Avatar The Way of Water. I hope you stick around for the whole thing. I did have some audio issues on my end. I recorded two in a row that had audio issues. Obviously, it's going to happen on the one where I'm interviewing someone from Hollywood. It's that telephone quality once again. Did I forget to plug my microphone in for the interview? Who's to say? No way of knowing. But it's a great interview and a great talk with Sarah, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm John Pataki, and this is Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than the contents of Edie Falco's Navi-sized coffee mug into genre entertainment and the fandom it inspires. Today, we're leaving the safety and protection of the Continental in our John Wick series to head back to the waters of Pandora with a very special guest. Sarah DeLuke is an art director whose credits include The Mandalorian, Black Adam, the Tom Hanks starring Apple TV Plus post-apocalyptic robot buddy sci-fi drama Finch, and the anthology documentary series, Little America. But recently, she assisted with bringing the watery domain of the Metcaina to life in Avatar, The Way of Water. We're thrilled to have her on the show, and welcome, Sarah. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Your uh, post-birthday party, it's all good. So welcome Post-birthday to the show. party, recovering, voice might be a little scratchy, but we're here. <laughs> That's what Sunday nights are for. It's <laughs> yes, great. exactly. So, great. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Like I said before we started recording, this is kind of our first foray into interviews on the show, and we're thrilled to have you as the first one. So Popping each other's cherry with this one. So. <laughs> there you <laughs> go, exactly. So, I mean, before we, we dive into the avatar of it all, I wanted to find out a little bit more about you, your major artistic inspirations, and how you got started in the field that you're in. I actually, it's funny because I, I went to school for 3D animation and video game design. And so that's actually what I wanted to do. And I moved down to LA and I, I started, you know, cold emailing places. Sure. And I just, I got an offer to do uh, 3D conversion on Harry Potter 7. So that was actually my first job in the industry. And I, I went in for the interview and they asked me if I knew how to do 3D conversion. And I, I lied because I had never even heard of it. Uh, but got the job, did really well. And then it kind of just, you know, one thing after another. And I never worked on one video game my entire life. And I somehow ended up in Hollywood and I was doing VFX for a while until I switched over to art direction. So it was kind of, it was a very happy mistake how I got here, but. And then you had to settle for Avatar. And then, you know, yeah, settled, settled for one of the biggest movies in Hollywood. (laughs) What drew you to doing like 3D modeling and stuff in the first place? Well, it, it was funny because I didn't actually, my mom actually picked my college and picked my major for me because I was so, the only thing I was into in, in high school was video games and like drawing anime characters. Relatable. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yes. it's like so super cool, you know, <laughs> um, and she was just like, oh my God, what am, what is this girl going to do? And so she actually found this major called, it was Applied Computer Graphics. It was at Chico State. And it was, you know, it kind of had all of that. Uh, it, it was, you know, computer programming with video game design. And then in that program had 3D animation and 3D modeling and stuff. That's what I ended up studying. And so I became interested in it because I, I, I'm i more just um, inspired by video game worlds. Sure. I mean, they're interactive and so fun. 
And I'm I'm probably happy I didn't end up working in video games because I didn't <laughs> I, I might have like a distaste for them at this point instead of, you know, what I did all day today. So <laughs> like this is not the same thing at all, but like I used to work at GameStop. Yeah. And like that's that's like exactly what happened where I loved them, loved them. Yeah. yeah. Like a- avocation versus vocation where it's like mm-hmm. now I completely hate this and I'm just oh, that- starting to enjoy them again. Oh, that's so funny. My both my both my brothers actually worked at GameStop. They did not lose their love though. We all we all um we me and my brother are actually playing Baldur's Gate three right now. So Oh man, that's the best. That's great. It's it's so good. What's your favorite all time? I think it's Witcher Three, but hours alone, I've I've done like a Skyrim playthrough like three or four times now. And you know, every time you play that it's hundred and forty hours. So I have like right, right. I have I've months into that game now stacked up. So that's probably that's you know, that's probably the best one. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I think I've purchased every every possible port of that on my Switch. I don't know. I'm like, I guess I'll play this for the seventh time. Oh yeah, no. I re- I recently got um the last time I did a playthrough was the first time I played it on the PC, and I just you know I mean I think I I spent like hours just modding it, and I'm just like this cute slutty bunny girl running around in <laughs> heels, murdering people now. Sure. So. <laughs> As it goes. Yes, you you know. <laughs> My line of questioning was going to be about like the survival mods and stuff like that, but that's a different podcast. So <laughs> for those who aren't familiar with what an art director does, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your current role? Like what exactly does an art director do and what was your major focus area on Avatar? Yeah. So there's, a, it's, there's actually, it's funny. There's two kind of two types of art directing. I'm, I'm, you know, a traditional art director as well as a motion capture art director. And they, they're actually almost two different jobs. Uh, it, sure. it, it really is. So, you know, what, what I'm doing now, uh, not being a mocap art director is basically, you know, the head of my department is the production designer who works with concept artists, uh, makes these like, you know, beautiful illustrations. And then we get those as art directors. And we basically have to make those dreams come true. You know, we're, we're sourcing material, we're working with the construction team to make sure what they're building is what the designer wants and, you know, helping get the right paint colors and tiles or like, you know, just helping their dream come to life. You know, we're, we're kind of, it's, it's a lot more management then people have this kind of like fantasy of, of, you know, how creative art directors can be. And there is creativity there, but there it's a lot more um, emails and calls and spreadsheets that uh, a lot of people <laughs> would, would think about. <laughs> I think I used to have that kind of pie in the sky. Like, wouldn't it be so great to work in Hollywood? You could have fun all the time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of a good lead in. Like, I, I do think that that's kind of the, the typical outlook on what a Hollywood job can be. So like, what was the work culture like on set? And can you describe like a typical day working in like pre-active and like post-production for, for the films? Avatar actually came in while we were shooting. So I I was like um, an ad because, you know, we just it, it was getting so big that they needed another art director. So I missed sure. I actually missed prep on that one. But prep is usually my favorite time. Uh, of a show because it's just like it's just the art department you're just you're working with the script to break down and and build the cool sets with the construction team and then once you start shooting all hell breaks loose it's it's chaos because there's constant changes and you don't have like the you know like ooh we had six weeks of prep and now it's like okay well we need the we we need the same thing but we need it in six hours kind of stuff so but yeah avatar was uh we did really um long hours on that one 
So I, I mean, I was there pretty early and pretty late every day. And I would say the culture was great for, especially with my team. I had a really like amazing team that I worked with. Like I'm, I, one of the other art director was at the party last night. So I saw him, I'll be seeing him, you know, next weekend. Cause we have the ADG awards, which is our guilds awards. And we're up for avatar. Congratulations. Oh yeah. Thank you. But yeah, I just, I'm, I did make some of my closest friends on avatar specifically. Cause it's just like, some of these jobs, you just, you know, you live there, you, you're helping, you know, the director bring this vision to life. And so it, it takes a lot. It's not like you don't phone it in, you know, it's not like a nine to five job. It's more like a five to nine. <laughs> it's not like community theater. Like you're just banging together no, some yeah. like balsa wood sets for the music man or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're doing a little more expensive pieces here <laughs> and there. So. Yeah, sure. What, what exactly was your specific area of focus on projects. So for the mocap portion of Avatar, it was the, you know, art director's position is to um, get like the 3D sets in Maya from our VFX team. And our VFX team was working closely with both the production designers. So they were working digitally with them to kind of build these sets. And then Mm -hmm. they would come to us and we would break it down and basically figure out how can we build this with uh, the pieces we have. Because the best way to describe it is we have a set of Lego blocks, um, huge Lego blocks, but like every mocap movie has the same set of Lego blocks and then you customize it from there. But you basically, the first thing you do is you start like just laying out the terrain. Like, okay, with the pieces we have, how are we going to build this so that when the motion capture team is running through it, it actually looks like they're in the environment that we built. So my my job was to actually design the mocap sets to match up with like, you know, the 3D environments that you're seeing on screen. Amazing. That's so awesome. I saw like a behind the scenes video mm-hmm. recently of uh, not Snake. What's his name? Boy, Boy Dread's character. I'm so sorry. You're putting me on the spot. Um. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like one of those things too, where it's just like, I think everyone assumes that the people that work on the movies like know the lore. Spider, I said snake. Oh, yeah, steak. I was like, steak. I was like, I don't know steak. I was like, wow. I'm, I mean, I thought <laughs> I was. You said steak? Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, oh, I, thought I, I was pretty hip on Avatar. I mean, I thought I knew the characters. Sure. Steak does sound like a James Cameron character, yeah. though. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I saw like a behind the scenes interview about this, a scene with Spider, like near the end where he's pulling Korich up on, the, on a rock and yes. how they had to basically design everything about Spider at that point was CG, like his limbs and everything like that to interact with the actual background and environments, artificial world. Is that something that would be part of your job as well is to make sure that 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 environment matches with the live action characters too? Yes. Yeah. So because like Stephen Lang's character, who I believe Spider's pulling out of the water, uh, you know, spoilers for the end, but I'm I'm sure anybody listening to this has seen the movie by now. It'd be weird if they didn't. Yeah. We actually built that set in um, the tank that we made for it. So I remember that vividly. <laughs> the gray rocks we built as, a, you know, a stunt spider pulls out a stunt Stephen Lang onto the rock. You officially have the coolest job ever. So oh. <laughs> that, I think that really paints a picture. Like it mm. seems like it's several different hats type of position to have on the actual production. So yeah. you said talk a lot about mocap and building these 3D environments and things like that. What would you say are the major differences between working on uh, something like The Mandalorian, which you've also been a part of between like largely practical, but also using like stuff like the volume for background shots and things like that. What would you say are the major differences between something like The Mandalorian and something like Avatar The Way of Water? I mean, Mandalorian doesn't use 
necessarily any mocap, but um, they have they do have actually a lot of similarities because you are dealing with 3D environments in both of them. And I, I would say for Avatar, you're dealing with temp 3D environments. You know, it's just like, okay, we, we have a, a rough pre-vis, post-vis situation of these environments that we're, that we're matching up to. And then everything can be kind of like cleaned and smoothed over later. Sure. And with Mandalorian, it was really interesting because I, I did, I, I went straight from Avatar to Mandalorian. I had like two days off and then I jumped. And Mandalorian was like cool and fun and challenging in its own new way. Uh, because you'd get these 3D sets, but they, they'd they have to be perfect already because you were doing live extensions on the volume. So, sure. you know, if, if something was off on it, them, it's like, okay, well, this isn't something you go fix and post anymore. You know, it's just like these have to match up with, with the environment we built. Oh, um, sure. Like I, I remember there was one set on that and it was like so funny. We built this bar set and then the 3D set just came came to us in the wrong scale. So I just remember like looking, I was like checking it and I was like, wow, those bar stools on the, like on the screen are just fucking huge. Like what's going <laughs> on, you know? And then of course we had to like send it back and we're like, Hey, we, we gotta, you know, we have to shrink this file down and they're like, Oh, that's going to take a while. And I remember being like, well, the set's built. So <laughs> we can't, I can't scale up the physical set. So we're, we're going to have to do it in 3d. <laughs> Yeah, there's only one option here. Yeah, there's it's the uh, artificial the, environment we've yes, created. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's also funny that we've uh, approached a point in visual effects where there's CGI bar stools. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. It turned it into like, honey, I shrunk the kids situation, yes, but yeah. on the Mandalorian set. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It's funny to think about that in terms of how the, the technology has changed, where it's like, it does have to be. Like it's a living environment on the volume at that point. So it's got to be perfect. I haven't had too much struggles with it because I, I, I was a visual effects artist for like five sure. years before I became an art director. So I already have kind of a good sense of, of that side of things. But even even dealing with that, I was just like, I ran into that problem and I was like, wow, this is new. Like this this specific issue has never happened to me and I can foresee it happening to me <laughs> a lot <laughs> working on the with, working with the volume. Like great. <laughs> you got to write on like your best practices. Like don't yeah. send me enlarged bar stools from now yeah. on. <laughs> with the volume, to me as a viewer, sometimes there's limitations to it in the end product. I'm trying to be diplomatic about it. Do you think that that's a technology <laughs> that, that they're banking on too quickly or is that something that is just like, it's just growing paint and the actual application of it will get there. I think the application will definitely get there. I mean, God, do you think back to some of like the early CG, you know, and sure. just like yeah. how fucking bad it was. And now yeah. you look at stuff and like me and my boyfriend have gotten into fights watching shows before. Cause he's like, that's a 3d background. That is. And I'm like, that's absolutely mm. not a 3d back. Like, you know, we're arguing <laughs> like on if it's real or not. <laughs> so, I love that dynamic as yeah. well. In terms of bad CGI, the first thing that always comes to mind is The Rock as the Scorpion King. Oh in, my um, God, yes. In The Mummy. Yeah, it's like the crazy, <laughs> it's like the craziest looking thing you've ever seen in your life. But it's also how you, you know, how you implement it too. Cause I, I, I find like over CG, CGI stuff just, you know, it isn't really interesting to me. You know, I, I don't like same, a full. Same. I'm not super about that, but you got to look at something like Starship Troopers, which was like what made 15 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe more. Yeah, definitely. And the CGI is fucking great. Like I watched that movie 
all the time. And I'm like, this still looks amazing. Like there's it nothing dated so about this. Yeah. It's like, I, because they just, they did it correctly somehow, you know, they're like, all right, well, here's what we can model. Here's the lighting we need to show it in. You know, they took their time with it. And it wasn't just CGI houses cranking out eight movies a year. Yeah, and it's and it's like you look back at something like Terminator Two. I was thinking Terminator Two when when I was talking about kind of bad CGI. I was like, that's the thing that came into my mind too. It's funny because it still somehow works for me personally. I think it's probably ninety mm-hmm. percent nostalgia, but like, yeah, since it is like a liquid man. Yes, yeah, you know, it's like it's like <laughs> since it's liquid, it seems like it stood the test of time a little yeah. better. But it still does look rough. It's beginning to show its age a little bit. Well, I, I, I think they, they did a cool thing with that. The, th- the thing that, you know, sticks out to me on that is, um, you know, the color correction. Like it, it's sure. bad CG to me is always kind of comes down to how, how did you comp it in? You know, like did you right. color correct it enough and, you know, fix the contrast and all that so that it actually like looks like it belongs there. That, that's usually when I can mm-hmm. be like, mm, something's off, you know? <laughs> Totally. It makes total sense. And I think also like the use of practical as well. I think about like the shotgun blasts in like, the T-1000s chest yeah. where it's like clearly the, that practical effects coming out and the blend of the two makes it realistic. But yes. I think James Cameron's like a master of that. So that's why Avatar <laughs> is so interesting to me. Speaking of James Cameron, how closely did you get to work directly with him? Are there opportunities to persuade him that things should take a different direction or is it his ship? He's the be all end all of all the decision making. It is his ship and it is <laughs> the be all end all. I had a feeling. <laughs> he's, uh, But I actually really like that about him. Um, I've worked with mm-hmm. some directors who, you know, they're the more like, oh, I'll know it when I see it mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I think that's something great about Jim is that he already knows it. He knows everything. There's no, you know, persuading him to do something else because he, he right. sees so much far, you know, he's already, pl- he's already, you know, done with movie five. So he doesn't need <laughs> opinions on movie two. He invented everything that we know the, yeah. in, in the current state of movies. So <laughs> yeah. he knows it. Yeah. He is brilliant. You know, it's, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> no, my team, I did work with him every day. So I, I got to talk to Jim a lot and he's great to watch work. Cause it just, it is, it's refreshing just seeing someone come on, come onto the stage and be like, all right, this is what we're doing. Like everybody get on board. This is why you're here. I think that really reflects in the actual final product too. Cause I remember sitting in the theater watching way of water mm-hmm. and to myself, I was thinking like, wow, this is first of all, 100% of James Cameron movies front, yeah. <laughs> front to back. It's like every decision. So over the top and wild and, but still is grounded in some sort of reality. I was thinking about the third act of the film where I was like, I'm not sure I've felt this way in a movie in 10 years. I said this in our podcast episode about the actual movie itself. I I kind of found myself understanding that I've forgiven the movies that came before it as like kind of just like good enough. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. you see a movie like this and all the care and the the choices and the and the experience from from James Cameron put into it. I love that you call him just straight up Jim, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can see that experience on screen and every detail of the film so no he he's very detail oriented no um i'm just thinking of uh there is this <laughs> we built this we built one of the whales uh Pyacon, and um one of our characters we had him on it and then jim stopped us from shooting one day and he's just like god i forget what character it was but he's like 
he's not right-handed. This character is left-handed. We need to put him, we got to redo this. We got to put him on the other side of the whale because he wouldn't be oh, shooting, he, he wouldn't be shooting the gun with this hand. And all of us are like, wow. Okay. Like, great. Yeah. Like the, the amount, the level of detail he can keep in his head for these movies is really astonishing. He's a madman. That's so funny. He's like, I had a fever dream last night about it. He's left-handed. We can't yes, do this. Yes. <laughs> Were you uh, responsible at all for or have any part in the whale vision, like the whale point of view? I don't know if that's a weird question to ask, but I was really obsessed with the fact that there was like whale vision in the movie. Tell me what you mean by whale vision. <laughs> You're like, what the hell are you yeah, talking what, about? What are you... you see the perspective of the, the whale uh-huh. looking out oh, at the characters. Got it. It's like the first person view, but like you're the whale. I was like, this movie's crazy. It's got everything. So, no, I had nothing to do with the whale vision, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to go ahead and edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to my next have to ask you while you're here question. At this point, listeners of the podcast know that I've been showing massive restraint by waiting this long to ask this, but who was responsible for the Navi wearing the wraparound like Oakley sunglasses and <laughs> Was their paycheck like large enough to compensate them accordingly? Because it was like, at the time, I like lost my mind completely about it. You know, I can't answer that. I don't. I don't know all the secrets <laughs> of Pandora, and that that one is that's one of the biggest secrets I think Jim has is where did they come from? Who who did make that decision? Because somebody did. Uh, Someone had to. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe Oakley has something over James Cameron that no one knows about that. That's really an explanation. <laughs> that's going to be my official answer. <laughs> Oakley's got a James Cameron dossier. Like yes. Yes. <laughs> dark secrets about James Cameron. Don't like actors and actresses. Like they get, I, I know Margot Robbie, like everyone was so excited that her contract with Chanel finally ended or something and she can wear whatever sure. she wants now. And that's maybe that's what's going on with James Cameron. He like, back in the day signed like a 50 year contract with like Oakley uh-huh. and he's just he's just waiting till like you know it'll be Avatar 5 when the glasses are just gone and everybody's like what's happening he's like his contract with Oakley's up it's done <laughs> and then they have a big set piece where they explode some yes, Oakley sunglasses yes, yeah. in the <laughs> maybe uh, Oakley's got a contract with the Navi I just I was just like sitting there like man there's a theater full of people that like live and go to work every day that are just like watching the screen right now and accepting <laughs> as truth a eight foot tall blue, blue alien, alien wearing yeah, sunglasses on the screen <laughs> and it's like this is that's why movies that's movie magic right there yes for sure. yes <laughs> what to you i think you touched about it a little bit earlier when you said that you really like the pre-production aspect but what's the most exciting stage for you? what was, what was the most exciting stage of working on avatar for you what was the most thrilling aspect of it what brought you to life the most on the set um, I actually loved when we started working with the motion capture tank that he, mm-hmm. you know, we took over a whole stage, uh, built this jag. I mean, it was the biggest motion capture water tank in the world. Our um, special effects team run by JD Swam did this like wave machine that could actually simulate like the different kinds of the op- ocean, like big waves or like, you know, little lapping of the water or you know we did like a whirlpool once for a scene and so just being able to do um tank builds was awesome like it was just one of the coolest things to see because it's you've never seen it before you know i've never built a a motion capture set and lowered it into the water to watch people swim around (laughs) i barely even know what that means yeah (laughs) that's incredible when i saw the back like the behind the scenes footage of what they've shown so far Mm -hmm. That tank, again, I was like, Jim, you've done it again. I can't call him Jim. 
That doesn't work for me. <laughs> for for this podcast, you can call him Jim. You know? <laughs> there you go. He's, yeah, he's, he's never yeah. listening. So. Yeah. <laughs> were you there when Kate Winslet broke the record? They're holding her breath for seven minutes? Yes. You were? I was. And she's great. She seems amazing. I remember I like we ended up in the bathroom at the same time together. And uh, I she she was trying to wash her hands. And like we had two sinks in the women's bathroom. And one of them was just shit and would never turn on. She's like, is there a se- <laughs> <laughs> she was like, is there a secret to using this? And I was like, <laughs> I forget exactly what I said. But I said something like, yeah, you have to pick the good one, which is the one I was at. And it was working. And I just remember she bust up laughing. And I was like, wow, this is this is I made Kate Winslet laugh today like you nailed this it. was yeah, worth it <laughs> but she yeah she was fu- she was very funny and uh it was cool that they did that because i think she this was her first time i mean she hadn't worked with jim or with water since titanic so it was like kind of a big deal that she was even like taking you know doing this position and then she was like oh yeah i'm working with water again for the first time and let me just casually break this record <laughs> take that tom cruise yeah <laughs> It's just funny because like her character, it was like, okay, I guess Kate Winslet is playing this character that's in the movie for 10 minutes. So I have to assume that that character is going to play a much bigger part. And yeah, you don't get Kate Winslet to play like 10 minutes in a film. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's amazing though. Like, I'm glad that uh, that's a podcast exclusive bathroom story. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of the aspects that you were a part of, what aspects of the film changed the most? from the start of production to the final result. At, at least for what I was involved in, not much because Jim really does have it all planned out. You know, like he, he I, I mean, it's true though. He doesn't, you know, I'm I'm sure stuff, the stuff that did change was he, he, you know, figured it out himself. You know, it wasn't like no one in my position like found an issue with the story and then like had had the answer to resolve it, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, he's the man with the plan and, and we did it and he executed it. And the only time... And it wasn't really even from start to finish, but like sometimes you just see him trying to rigor out, like figure out the motivation for things. And that that sure. would really be the only time you'd like see him like, okay, how am I going to work? Like, why are we doing this? But most of the time, you know, he'd, he'd be like, okay, hold on. We got to pause filming for right now today so I can figure out why we're doing this. And the whole thing shuts down because of his wishes. That's, that's... He's a powerful man. <laughs> He's a powerful man. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I was just interested to see if anything, you know, there's a lot of like stuff that changes from like the blue sky periods of pre-production and concept art and the, the design phase. I didn't take the James Cameron of it all into account for that question where it's like seven movies are done in his head already. Yeah, he there there's no because there is too. I mean, uh, uh, you mentioned Finch earlier and one mm-hmm. of the sets I did for that um, movie fully cut didn't even see it you know we, we were he was supposed to go meet kind of like these like cannibals or you know creepy meth people like just marauders or something yeah scary scary murder people and we did this whole cool like set in in this abandoned racetrack they did the cut of the movie and they're like map but this whole part of the storyline can like go and i'm just like I, I remember my my designer texted me he's like yeah your set you did got cut and i was like wow. oh no like <laughs> like that was three weeks of my life just gone <laughs> Yeah, don't cut the creepy marauder race. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the director's cut of that. You know, there you go. I enjoy the movie for what it's worth. So, okay, I'm sorry your scene got cut from it. Though. No, it's fine. You know, I just I now I get to go on podcasts and bitch about it. So there you go. There you go. It's like a therapy podcast. Yes, as well. yes. I know there's not as much designing on your your side. There's obviously two vastly different worlds in Avatar. This extremely realistic future tech industrial versions of the human and then there's the flowing serene like natural world of the navi were there any like major guiding design principles or art direction principles of like keeping the looks 
consistent? Yeah. For, for me, for like where I was, my position, um, I didn't really have to deal with that too much because I, I just, you know, I got the environment once it was signed off on by, you know, by the, the designers and by Jim. So it's just like, by the time I got it, I'm just like, okay, this, this is correct. And, you know, Mm -hmm. oftentimes it wasn't, and you'd find out, you know, you'd be the one who'd be like, well, why'd you do this? And you're like, Ooh, I don't know. Cause this is the file I got, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm learning. (laughs) But, uh, there was, I mean, we had two different designers for it. So Dylan Cole was actually the designer in charge of uh, all the Navi world and, and the fauna and, you know, everything beautiful you see. And then Ben Proctor is the other designer who was in charge of, you know, the industrial human side of things. So it was, I mean, you needed two separate people because it was just that so much was going on. And to keep both of that in your head, I just don't, you know, it wasn't possible. (laughs) That's what has always really struck me as so great about the Avatar series in general is how truly believable both sides mm-hmm. of that world are that the human side is that just reminds me of what you know military tech could look like in oh, yeah. 100 years previously to this you worked on black adam as well we spoke to this a little bit more about that like with the mandalorian earlier but how is that shift? How does that, how does your role change specifically going from a mostly digital landscape to something like Black Adam that at least partially relies on practical sets and effects? We did huge sets on that one. I mean, there is, you know, a bunch of post work on it, but for the most part, we sure. were, we were building really intense, in depth sets. And that was, that's probably actually been the funnest job I've done so far, uh, you know, especially set wise. And that designer, Tom, Meyer, who is a good friend of mine, he is just great to work with because he kind of actually allows his art directors to to like really have input, you know, like he he is like great to work with because he'll be like, okay, you know, show me a couple window window style like builds that you want for Hawkman's mansion, you know, and then he'll be like, okay, we got to tweak this and I'm going to send it to my, you know, illustrator to make really pretty now because I'm, you know, I do terrible Photoshop comps. There's (laughs) nothing presentable. But, you know, he, he he's great because it's actually, you know, you you felt like you got to be creative and make decisions and um, sure. actually like shape the look and stuff. Like I remember there's that when they're going into that cave in the beginning, we had to do a bunch of different runes. And, you know, I, I picked a bunch of cool, you know, cool kind of Egyptian stuff that I like edited together. And then I had um, a researcher, Haley Hughes, who's a friend of mine as well who I, I kind of just sent her the runes and I was just like, hey, do any of these images like make sense for the Black Adam lore? Because she's a, you know, that that was her job. She had to know everything about the comics, like in detail. And she was great because I remember I found this kind of like really cool cat graphic, you know, it was like a tiger mm-hmm. and I put a funny hat on him, you know, <laughs> and I, sure. I was like, how do I make this glyph work? And she's just like, oh, this is, God, what's his name? It's not Tony the Tiger, obviously, but it was like Talking Timmy or Tiger Tommy or something. And he he starred in one ep- like one comic of Black Adam. And she's like, this can be a, a throwback to this character. I'm like, perfect, great. Look at this. It all makes sense. <laughs> it's Talky Tawny, I think. Talky Tawny, Talky Tawny. There you go. <laughs> but that's, 
cool that you kind of got to create an Easter egg and kind of in that regard, right? If people are digging for that, they can find it. Yeah, and that and that kind of stuff is so, so fun. And and that's why I was saying, you know, there's such a big difference in between traditional art directing and motion capture art directing. Like motion capture art directing is just it's such a weird specific job. Like I actually, you know, I did it on Jungle Book as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's the reason I got Avatar actually is because they're just, you know, it it wasn't that I was like some old school, longstanding art director. It's just that like, okay, there's there's five art directors who know how to do mocap right now, you know, and so and three of them are Mm -hmm. on the show already. So (laughs) so. it just seems like sometimes the opportunity opens because you're you're available. It gets you in because of that. They have to assume that something's like still in the tank to bring you on to something as big as as big as Avatar. So that's really, really awesome. I love that Jungle Book live action film, by the way. I think it's really cool. Which one are you talking about, though? Do you know which one I did? John Favreau one? John Favreau's Jungle Book, yes. <laughs> when it came out later, but we, it was in development, actually, when we were in shooting ours. And I just remember thinking, I was like, why are there rival Jungle Books going on? Like, this is crazy. The Andy Circus one, right? Yes, yeah. I did my research. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are. Yes. What we were talking about earlier, like I think that people on the outside of Hollywood have that view that just all fun and games and you get to be creative and have fun all day. But with like you've spoken now, it's tough work and long days. But how do you, being on a project for so long, how do you create like a, a work-life balance? I know you said you play video games. How do you decompress after something such a long shoot and such a long project like that. I, I, I'd say during it, you ha- you're kind of just in it. You know, if you take a job yep. and some, you know, I'm talking about doing this next job and I, it's nine months in Atlanta and it's just like, all right, well, if I take this, I'm just, you know, I'm saying goodbye to my life for nine months. But right now I'm in the middle of like five months off because I, wo- sure. I worked most of last year. I think I, I had a month off last year. And then, yeah, it's just like my friends outside the industry, they're like, what do you mean you're taking three months off? I was like, I, I need to breathe, you know. I haven't. I, I gotta. I gotta see everybody I haven't seen in the last year. That, that's how I do it, and I'm lucky enough because I chose not to buy a house or have children, so I don't have to. I don't have the the pains of a lot of my colleagues that are like, "Well, I can't take time off because I'm house poor, or the second kid's coming and we got to pay for stuff." And I was like, "Thank God, I save money, and then I take I take time off until that savings is gone, and then I go back to work." And that's. On to the next one. Yes, that is the cycle. Can you tell us what the next project is or no? Uh, I can't, no. But uh, I'm talking to two very ex- two two ones that are very exciting to me, both like kind of fantasy sci-fis. That's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> what's your What's your dream project? What's uh, I actually what, already what? yes I I was happy to see this question because I already have this answer and my dream Great. project is a period. Horror musical comedy starring Daniel Radcliffe taking place in Louisiana. And that's (laughs) wow. That is my dream project. So, you know, maybe you have some listeners that can write that script. I don't know what that looks like, but that's what I want. (laughs) I'll write it for you. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I'm not a huge J.K. Rowling fan. But um, I think they're two separate entities now. Uh, yeah, I, oh, totally. Yeah, there's a lot of merit. A lot of merit in the stories. I'm reading the first one to my boys. I have twin, twin six year old oh, boys. I, and- I love the stories. I have a gigantic mm-hmm. Harry Potter tattoo that I'm sure my mom knows about, and if she listens to this podcast, she'll know about it now. And I've spent like I've spent. Uh, I think I have like 30 hours into the new the Harry HP Legacy. I haven't done anything for four days. Like that came out. 
And that is all I'm doing. I'm running around killing goblins, killing dark wizards, you know, <laughs> zooming around in my broom. It's 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 such a good game and it's so easy and fun to play. And especially if you're a fan of, you know, Harry Potter, like I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan. So like I remember sure. the, the day I took my first job and I, I didn't know the project, what it was at all. And I mean, mm-hmm. God, how, how old was I? I think it was 22. And I sit down and he's like, OK, so. I want to tell you what project we're, we're working on. And it, w- and it was funny because I actually don't remember messaging this, you know, company. I, I actually have no idea how they got a hold of me. You know, they're like, sure, hey, we sure. saw you apply. Come in. And I was like, I don't know who you are. I don't know how what rotoscoping is, like, wh- which is the job they first hired me for. But I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And we sit down and he's like, okay, so we're working on the new Harry Potter movie. And I screamed, I screamed, <laughs> I stood up, the office looked at me and I was just like, wow, like this is such a dream that like my first job in Hollywood is, you know, one of my favorite franchises. Deathly Hollows part one. Deathly Hollows part one. And then we were working on Deathly Hollows part two as well. And that one actually got canceled. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think they showed it in 3d. Cause this sure. was, okay. this was before they had 3d, you know, cameras, so, you know, there's just so many people you didn't know about, like hundreds and hundreds of people like sitting there converting a movie to 3D back then, which is not a fun process either. <laughs> Seems difficult. Difficult. Um, pixel fucking definitely come, comes up <laughs> a lot there. So <laughs> That's a new tattoo I'm going to get on my arm. It just says pixel fucking on it. But my uh, larger overarching point about Harry Potter and Daniel Radcliffe is: Did you watch Weird? Oh my God! I'm, I'm such a I'm such a big Weird Al fan too. Oh yeah, me too. And Born and raised on it. By the time they announced that movie was happening, like by, by the time mm-hmm. it kind of came out, even in the circles like here in Hollywood that I knew about, it was it was already done. Like it was just sure. you know because it was kind of an indie film and it was just like you know they did it and it was over and I was so pissed. Because I would have killed to work on that movie. Like I, I'm just like Weird Al and Daniel Radcliffe. Like kill me. Like that's that <laughs> that is close. Project. Yeah. That so <laughs> now that the dream project, my dream project, has actually you know already passed. The new one is my new dream project. <laughs> I really think that that was like Daniel Radcliffe is as Weird Al. That's strange. And then I saw it and I was like, that's the role of a lifetime. He's so good too. Like I think a lot of people like I I remember. I mean I was like oddly obsessed with. Harry Potter in high school or not high school. Yeah, high school, high school and, and college. Like I remember um, I remember just being like really upset that I would like never be able to hook up with Daniel Radcliffe at some point. Like I was a, I was a, obviously a crazy college kid, but I, I would watch all these interviews with him and he was always so funny. And then uh, while he was doing Harry Potter, he did. I don't know if you saw that. It's that British TV show called Extras. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. His, his episode of extras was just so funny. And so like, obviously not his Harry Potter character. And I was like, this guy's fucking great. You know, I, I, I think he's just an awesome actor. So yeah, he's fantastic. I think like Robert Pattinson and Daniel Radcliffe are like, obviously the two like teen heartthrobs that have to work probably the hardest. You and I don't think this way, I'm sure. Yes. But like, to like get the Edward Cullen and the Harry Potter stain off of them. Yes, yeah. I think they've both done such an amazing job of like diversifying their career. <laughs> this is now just a Daniel Radcliffe podcast. People have tuned in for the Avatar part and we're like just going off about Daniel oh. Radcliffe. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, Vampire Movie Musical in Louisiana starring Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, yeah. 
I'll get on it. And you know, it doesn't have to be vampires, but there is a bunch of vampire lore there, so it does make sense. Yeah. But you know, which is vampires? Don't, yeah, don't feel tied down to the vampire aspect. Okay. <laughs> More the Daniel Radcliffe aspect of yes, it all. Yes. So, enough at this point. What's the project you're most proud of working on? If you can pick one, probably actually, I, I think Black Adam. I know people didn't necessarily love the movie, um, but I had just such a fun time working on it, and the sets are so like I just think the sets are so cool. Like that that was um, Tom Meyer just gave me like the opportunity to do really cool stuff on that one, and you know. The last year I've been, I, I did Little America and Criminal Minds, and that, that's more, you know, th- those two things are so based in reality. So it's it's just not as exciting sometimes. I mean, it's fun. Like I, I had a great year doing those projects, but Black, just you know, being able to create a fantasy realm is just so cool as a fantasy nerd too. So to wrap it up, what's something non-major franchise related? that you're into right now. Books, you know, people need to read more books for sure. People do need, I mean... Non-superhero film, TV, art, hobbies, etc. I, well, I'm a huge reader. Like, I did 125 books last year. And uh, so I I could do a whole nother podcast on books. But I'm really into, the series I did last year that I that I absolutely loved was I did, um, and I'm not done with it yet, but there's a series called The Murderbot Diaries. And it's so funny it's like a sci-fi and they're great quick reads and the main character you know it's set in the future and this character is you know for back of a lack of a better word a, a murder bot you know it's, it was created to kill and protect humans uh but it hacks it hacked its system and so what it enjoys doing now is uh kind of just dicking off and watching soap operas and so you you know and then begrudgingly saving humans because it's compelled to do so sounds perfect so that that's one of the things i'm into right now and then i'm trying to think of that's not a major franchise i mean Murderbot diary sounds great in and of itself i just feel like you know people just talk about like and obviously i'm guilty of this as well having a podcast about franchises yes, but like, yes. i feel like the dialogue is like marvel dc star wars and that's all people talk about anymore i think that's a great recommendation and something that i've never heard of but sounds right up my alley as well so. oh it's great well i mean that's how i kind of feel though i see so many you know every time a remake comes out i'm just like God, I've I've read five books, you know, in the past couple of months that could be turned into cooler TV series that nobody's ever heard. You know, nobody wants to do like the new idea anymore until until somebody does and everybody's like, wow, this was amazing and people loved it. Totally. It's just like, oh yeah, they loved this, not yeah. like the eighth remake. I don't even want I don't even want to list anything and get in trouble. But you know, there's enough remakes. <laughs> You'll get Hollywood blacklisted for even saying it. Yeah, like the A3 remake of Snow White, but I'm also desperate to work on it if it comes out kind of thing. <laughs> I was going to say Pinocchio, but that Pinocchio, the last uh, Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio was fabulous. So. I actually, I haven't seen it yet. I heard great things though. Someone will make a Murderbot Diaries series for Netflix and it'll be all the rage. Yes. And you'll say that you were there first. I, I will say the other one, but they're, make, they're making this and I tried to get on this, but it's shooting in the UK and, you know, there's just different groups there. I'm very excited about the Warhammer series oh, that yeah. uh, Henry Cavill is going to do because I'm like, that. that's another hobby of mine. I paint, I paint Warhammer figures. And so that's, I'm stoked for that. And I love him. You know, he was so, I thought Witcher was brilliant just because he's so obsessed with the lore. Aren't you so happy for him getting that series? Like he loses Superman and then he gets the thing that he loves the most in the world. Oh, yeah. As a series. I mean, he's he's had a great. I I I think it was good that he like kind of left The Witcher too. You know, it's just like sure, I thought sure. two seasons was great, 
And yeah, I'm totally ready to see him be in Warhammer now. How can you not love him? Like nobody who's that nerdy deserves to be that hot. Like it makes no sense. Like (laughs) anytime I see him, I'm like, how are you a nerd? Like what's going on? I think that is a a great place to end it. Sarah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for coming on. And (laughs) I hope we talked about Avatar enough. I think think we did. I have 45 minutes of Harry Potter talk and like 10 minutes of James Cameron talk and then we're good. The quest rages on to figure out who made those wraparound sunglasses a thing. So listen, if I find out, I will let you know. So you can let your let you let the listeners know. <laughs> it's more just for me so I can sleep at night. But <laughs> thank you so much. Bear with me as I do my embarrassing outro as well. Go for it. If you like what you've heard here today, make sure to follow us at B1N1Pod on Instagram and on Facebook. Follow us, rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and ring the bell. Give us five stars on Spotify. Thank you to Christian Cremo for our theme music. And thank you once again to you, Sarah DeLuki. And thank you so much for being on the show. And we really appreciate your time. Yeah. We'll be back next week with more John Wick. Uh, Another great, I'm obsessed with John Wick, by the way. I will say it's one of the best franchises there is. (laughs) I love John Wick. We love John Wick here. And uh, I have a John Wick tattoo. So I'm a big, I I got a Daisy tattoo for that dog, you know? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) It doesn't get much better than that. (laughs) If I ever wake up and someone has laid out a beagle puppy in front of me, Uh, I would go full John Wick too. It's just a great premise, you know? Dog dies and then he spends four weeks killing everybody. I'm very excited for the new movie, so. (laughs) Perfect. See you next week. 